Our reading today is from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. This is the word of the Lord. Well, grace to you and peace, faith family. <clears throat> For those of you who are joining with us for the first time or maybe coming uh, after missing last week, last week we began a study looking at the disability uh, theologically, looking at disability theologically, and we entitled this series Theology of Disability. It's going to be three weeks, last week, uh, this week, and then of course the next. That's three. <laughs> totally insulted all of you, and I'm sorry about that. It's one of those things that I don't know why we do those things, but I did it anyway. Uh, last week we really looked at, we started by reforming our thinking uh, of disability through the lens of God's sovereignty. And what we did is we stated, if you remember this, and the purpose last week was that God's sovereignty reigns over disability. God's sovereignty reigns over disability. We studied John chapter 9, 1 through 38, and we saw that purpose is not vacant in those with disability. In other words, those who are disabled are not without purpose. In this historical narrative of the man that was born blind, the disciples, the Bible says, were looking for a reason by asking uh, a question of causation through the past actions of this man or the past actions of his parents that would help explain this disability, that would place this disability at the root of personal sin or generational sin. And Jesus' answer was that the explanation for this man's disability was not rooted in its cause, but the explanation for this man's disability was rooted in its purpose. 
which, and by the way, we saw this, that his purpose was to bring God glory, and it was through this man that God's glory would be manifested. And through this man, how was his glory manifested? It was manifested through his healing. And if you remember, we looked in the Old Testament passages where God indicated that far from seeing disability as a mistake, what we are able to do biblically, and we ought to do biblically, is to look at disability through the lens of providence. It is God who, the Bible says, forms our inward parts, including every chromosome and every cell, and the weaving of us together in our mother's womb, according to the Scriptures. So what we said is, because of this, and because we look at this, there is intrinsic value for all of life, regardless if it is disabled or fully abled, whether it is uh, uh, normative in its thinking or uh, or deformative in its thinking. What we would want us to say is, life is intrinsic from conception to natural death. And that is very important for us to understand. And we left off by restructuring our paradigm of disability from this idea that is so often and so confused in our culture today or even from a broader culture that disability is a cosmic mistake or disability has purposeless meaning or disability is some personal punishment and what we did is we transformed or restructured our paradigm of disability to the sovereign providential work of God and we We looked at this in depth last week. If you want, I believe we recorded it, and you're more than welcome uh, to listen to that passage uh, being preached. Now, I want to remind us of something that I said last week so that we are not um, confused at all about what I am trying to get at or or even in some of the illustrations that I give, um, and it's very important. That what we are diving into over three weeks is foundational biblical perspectives and principles that will help us in, in, in this journey along this minefield of de- dealing with uh, disability together. I said last week that oftentimes when you talk about, um, there, aren't, there are many things that you can talk about from the pulpit that will get people very excited. You talk about disability people start having their paradigms uh, a little bit uh, um, challenged. When you talk about people's children, they begin to have their paradigms a little bit challenged. When you start talking about children with disability, now you're walking along a minefield that is full of opportunities for explosive uh, um, misinterpretations. And as I said last week, and I want to say again, I want to acknowledge that the spectrum of disability is very large. The spectrum of disability is very large. And the difficulty in disability is often very, very hard. So the spectrum is large, the difficulties, and the spectrum of difficulty is very large. And it is very difficult at times to to live life with disabilities or those with disabilities. I want to say this, I acknowledge this, and I in no way desire to undervalue those realities. I said that last week at the very beginning of the sermon, and I want to say it this week at the very beginning of this message. I, I in no way, in no shape or form, desire to undervalue that. We have families that are here right now, and we have some who are joining with us right now that I have no doubt 
experience difficult decisions, experience difficult emotional realities, financial realities, and relationships that seem neither light nor momentary in accordance to the way Paul describes this life. Yet, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want us to be a church that avoids difficult situations because we're scared of hurting people's feelings. Because we're scared or we have this fear as a church that doesn't want to address what's going on in your life, what's going on in reality. Because I can tell you this, I know this, when you begin to address things like this, you are often misinterpreted, often misunderstood, and often maybe miscommunicated. And for that, what we do as a faith family is we bring about all of the history that we have together, all the charity, all the love that we have to this table, and I want to say from the outset that I deeply love and care for my faith family, and I never in any way, shape, or form desire to harm or hurt them. What I do want us to do is to address this situation so that we have a paradigm uh, to look through. So I don't want to avoid difficult situations but we want to inform them so that we have a foundation or at least a paradigm so that we are able to engage it biblically with truth. Because the truth of the matter is this. Our culture has a lot of specialists. Our culture has a lot of specialists. And if you don't believe me, try your day in social media. I mean, two years ago, none of us even knew uh, anything about vaccines. And within two years, everybody knows everything about vaccines. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing. When you start talking about disability, when you start talking about children, you start talking about uh, depression, you start talking about um, uh, what, el- what other minefield do you want me to start talking about? Sex. Uh, sex inside of marriage, sex outside of marriage, living together. I mean, I, uh, today I can just talk about genders and I can just, we can, oh, oh, let me start talking about the role of women. A role of women, you know, you can really set on some minefields there. Let me start talking about the role of men. Oh, there's some minefields there. You talk about biblical masculinity, biblical femininity, and you have all these things. And if we're not careful, what we become is we become a church that preaches nothing that's real in our life, and we just become a church that's, uh, uh, that just becomes this, uh, we, we have to dance around, you know, your four points and, and your five good things to having your best life, right? And so we don't get at the very difficult things of life, and I will never be that kind of pastor and you know that if you've been here with me for any sense of time no what we want to do is we want to we don't want to avoid difficult situations but we want to inform them so what we're going to do now is we're going to turn today this morning to this idea of one who would take this situation and take this idea of what I preached on last week and you would look at this and you would say, okay, pastor, I get it. I can see God being glorified in this situation that we looked at last week in John chapter 9 and you can say, I can see how God is glorified in healing. I get it. God was glorified. Jesus healed the man. His glorification was made known. He was made different. Jesus was made known through the way in which he healed these people. But my child is not healed. I'm not healed. How does God get glory in the mundane continuation of disability? Now, you know last week, I'm not going to go through this again, but you remember last week I gave you this idea of the definition of disability. 
And we looked at this in depth. And I'm going to feed off of that. Because I want us to begin to think through this. Now, for those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, I want you to know this. Um, topical messages here at Pine Summit are, are uh, sprinkled throughout the, the year. They're very... Um, I just did, uh, for instance, we did 18, 18 weeks through the book of Philippians. Typically, we teach verse by verse through a book of the Bible. But every now and then, we take certain theological distinctions and we come at them. So this might not be expositional for those of us who are part of our faith family. This is, isn't going to be as expositional verse by verse as you're used to. Uh, so we're going to have to engage big parts of scripture so that we can get at this idea. Because what we're doing here is we're looking at the theology of disability. We're looking at a swath of an idea. So in order to do that, we have to be systematic and looking at it in great uh, uh, a big picture, so to speak. So the first thing I want us to do as we begin to look at this and how is God glorifying in the mundane continua continuation of disability, the first thing I want to do is assess our presupposition. I want to assess our presupposition. I want us to address what we're bringing into the question. And the first thing I want, us, I want to do is to remind and to restate that last week we defined disability and we saw that each of us are disabled in some way. And my point here, or we either have been, we are, or we will be disabled in some way, shape, or form. And my point in that, just so I can be clear, my point in that was not to, was not to mitigate or to reduce the reality of someone's suffering in the midst of their type of disability, but my point is that we are not speaking about someone else yet. But what we are doing is I want us to almost always look inside of us and to, to think about how we are going to deal with us personally. Also, I want us to not confuse the ultimate providence of God. This is a huge point, and I need you to get this. I do not want us to confuse the ultimate providence of God with the penultimate outworking of those purposes. Let me say that again because this is so very key and important. Do not confuse the ultimate providence of God with the penultimate outworking of those purposes. For example, and I'll give you this so that you can understand and I can help, help work out what I've just explained to you. I want us to take God's own suffering as a lens through His Son Jesus. If we were to go back, and, and we were to go back in time, and we were to take a time machine, and we were to Marty this thing, right? Back to the future. We were to go back and we were to get in our little, uh, uh, what's the car? <laughs> you all know. We're to hop in our DeLorean. We're headed back to Jesus' day. And I want us to go back, but we have to go back and we can't have any uh, future knowledge. Okay, so I want you to go back to this in reality. And I want you to come back to me. And I want you to find yourselves at the foot of the cross. Here we are, we're, stand, we're sitting at the foot of the cross where our Savior bled and died. And if there is anything that I think points to suffering or disability, it would be Jesus, the one who is fully capable of calling leads of angels at his, at, his, at his beck and call. Here he is nailed to a cross, bleeding, beaten, wounded. Is everybody with me? 
So I want, you to, I want to put yourself there, and I need you to see this in that moment. Or, or if you wanted to, we could go a little bit further, and let's go to the door of the tomb on Friday. Jesus has died, he has suffered, he has died, and here he is at this tomb, and that's where we are. We're with Mary Magdalene, they have just come back to the tomb, they see where it's sealed, and there we are. We're standing there, we have just seen Jesus die on a cross, we have seen it at a tomb, and it's Friday. It's Friday. Let me ask you something. Would we not have been able to see the ultimate providence of God and what he was do, about to do because the penultimate working of that prompt purpose was a cross and a tomb? You see, the penultimate, the, 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 we look at a cross and a tomb and we go, how is he going to work out his providence here? But he is going to work out his providence, but you can't see that on Friday. You can't see that at the tomb. You see, the process of the outworking of the purpose often doesn't reveal the providential plan as it's being worked out. And that's huge for us because our presupposition is in this moment, I can't see providence. Well, typically in the moments of pain, suffering, disability, you will never see providence. It, you, it's not seen in that moment. It's the penultimate reality that we have to look at and go, wait, we can trust in the sovereign providential hand of God. And also, we must acknowledge biblically that God's purposes, this is huge and this is going to be a big point for what, I'm about to, what we're about to look at, is that biblically that God's purposes are not always in healing in this world. God's purposes are not always in healing in this world. You see, when we assume that God's purpose is always in healing and restoration, what we are doing, church, is we are confusing the already with the not yet. We are confusing the day in which God will redeem and restore all things with today. We are expecting what is meant for the day of restoration to happen today. And when we do that, we are looking for a world that we are not living in. The day when Paul writes, listen to me, what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to turn to some of these passages because I don't want you to miss what we're saying here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Notice what he says. Paul says, for our citizenship, some of you have been with me, you know we studied this. For our citizenship is in heaven... There's our citizenship. We have a real, true, permanent, present, present-day citizenship in heaven for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, here it is, transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So you get this. Paul is saying there's going to be a day in which we will be transformed. Today is not that day. Now in case you don't know this, I think, uh, I want you to remember the Apostle Paul. 
Paul is not immune to what he is speaking about. Because Paul has experienced both healing in disability and perpetual disability. He experienced both. So the Apostle Paul can come in and say, I know what it's like to be healed, but I also know what it's like to tarry in, in, this, in this problem. Well, where did you get that, Pastor? Well, thanks for asking. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. want us to look at verse 8 and verse 9. This is Acts chapter uh, chapter 9, excuse me, verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, Saul is Paul, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him... For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you, so sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. So has Paul ever experienced disability? Yes. Has he experienced healing in that disability? Yes, so Paul understands what that means. But then, when we turn back to our passage here in in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, here it says that he was given, there I was given me, a thorn in the flesh. Now, I will say this, there there are many disagreements as to what this was, but I think there's an indication that it's some sort of physical disability because it's in the flesh. So there's some thorn in the flesh. And the point I'm trying to make here is that Paul is not immune to it personally. Paul experienced disability in healing and he experienced a disability that would continue throughout the rest of his life. Many people believe, as though most of you know, that it was possible that Paul himself was actually uh, not able to see that he was having eye problems in this moment. And if he was, and if it was a physical uh, inability to see, and if he was going blind, well, then that messes up a lot, of your, uh, a lot of your TBN pastors. So don't listen to that jargon anyway. Just turn it off and read the Bible, guys. And for those of you who like DBN, TBN, I'm sorry. For you, not for me. I didn't mean to apologize for them because... Uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> so what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is Paul is not immune to it. 
So whatever we are asking here, I do know it's very personal for each of us. But I want us to get at some of our presuppositions. And some of our presuppositions is this, that we are not speaking about someone else. I'm talking about our own disabilities. We must not confuse the ultimate providence of God with the penultimate working of His purposes. And we must know and know that God's purpose is not always in full healing and restoration when we are here on this world. And those three presuppositions are three presuppositions that have already gotten some of you off track and you're not even willing to listen to the rest of the sermon. Because you're already ready to kind of disqualify the whole thing. Don't do that. Stay with me. Because these are things that are very important to how, the, how we are going to see this idea of God being glorified in the mundane continuation of disability. Second, I want us to address it directly. And here we are going to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians. Because here what we see, ladies and gentlemen, with Paul, is that God's glorious grace is on display, and here it is, how does God get glory through continuous disability? It's that God's glorious grace is on display through the sustaining in it. And last week we saw where God's glorious power was on display in the healing of it. So we saw God's glorious power on display last week. And this week we're going to look at God's glorious grace on display through sustaining. And I want you to know this, that the supreme value in both cases, whether it be in healing or in sustaining, whether it be through His power or whether it be through His grace, the supreme value in both cases are God's glory. Last week, we saw God put His glory on display in John 9 and here uh, through healing, but it is not always in healing as we tarry here. It's not always going to be in our healing. Turn with me to John chapter 5. I want to show you an example of God, uh, Jesus, not healing. John chapter 5. And here we are, we're in Jerusalem, we're at a pool. And we're going to see something here. John chapter 5, I'm going to read for, uh, 18 verses. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate at a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the mooting of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Pick up your pallet. Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was on the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, 
He who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Very important. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself, I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So here we're at this Jerusalem. We're at a pool where we're seeing people healed. Verse 3 records there is this multitude of people here, which will be important for us in a moment. And then there is verse 4, sorry, yeah, yeah verse 3, uh, it, we'll get to in a moment. But then there is this verse 4, um, and, and y'all will read that. You will see that it's in brackets in New American Standard. For some of you, you're asking why is it there. It's actually not found in some of the oldest manuscripts that we have that the NSB interprets from. Uh, but we, regardless of this, of this verse, the pool, how the pool worked is not essential to this story. Because the focus is not on the pool, the focus is on who? Jesus. Thank you. In verse 6, Jesus knew this man had been there. Remember, we talked about this last week. Jesus had knowledge of this man. He had knowledge of his situation. As well as though all of those that are there, the Bible says that there is this crowd. And Jesus got, chose to go to this pool where this man is. And in verse 6, he asks him, do you want to be healed? And I want you to notice the man's answer. He explains this situation. The question that Jesus asked in verse 6 was, Do you want to be healed? Do you wish to get well? In verse 7, the sixth man answered, said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Quite remarkable, I think. I'm not going to get into the exegesis of this passage, but I want you to see this. I want you to notice that this man, uh, this man is at this pool. He asks, does he want to be healed? And the man only describes his situation. He only describes his problem. He explains the situation, and what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. And I do want to say this on a side note. This is one of the only places that you will find in Scripture, especially in the New Testament with Jesus, that a miracle will occur where nothing is recorded that it was in response to anything about the man. There's nothing about the man in this passage. This man did nothing. All he did was describe his problem. The Bible doesn't go into his faith. It doesn't, he doesn't have to wash his eyes. There's none of this. All we know is that this man is healed. Simply out of compassion. So Jesus heals him, verse 8, 9, and then he disappears, at least for a minute. And then in verses 10 through 13, this man is questioned about his healing. And then notice with me verse 13. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. So let me ask this, who is this crowd? Who is the crowd in that place? Well, we know who the crowd was. Go back up for me to verse 3. In these, the pool, 
lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. So who is the crowd? The sick, blind, lame, and withered. Who did Jesus heal? Only this one man. There's a point. Stick with me. You have all these people who need to be healed, but Jesus decides to heal this one man at this pool. Why? I think verse 14 gives us some clarity. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worth, worth, worse excuse me, happens to you. So Jesus is going to find this man whom he heals. He's going to then call him to a life to no longer sin. We would say in our, in our Christian language, he would call him to a life of holiness. So he is going to heal him, and he is going to call him to this life of holiness. Jesus provided healing to this man in order to set him apart. And the point I want to make to you in this passage this morning is that Jesus walks into a courtyard of invalids, a courtyard of people who are disabled, and he heals only one. We hear so much about the miracles of Jesus, which he did. We hear so much about the miracles of Jesus, which are true historical accounts. But we often amiss that there are those that he chose to not heal. Because we have selective amnesia of the biblical narrative. Because we like the the conversation of people getting healed. We like this conversation of people have miracles being done. But what we can't deal with is why did he not heal everybody at the pool? You see, we praise God for His grace and His mercy and goodness and the revelation that He can heal our disabilities. And I do. We come to the biblical, we, have, we come to this and we, we have to have a biblical worldview of Scripture and its revelation of the miraculous through Jesus throughout the entirety of Scripture. And we praise God for His grace. We praise God for His mercy. We praise God for His goodness. We praise God for revealing when He can and He does heal, heal in disabilities. But not always, He does not always heal. There are times where Jesus allows us to experience suffering. And remember I told you that disability is a a derivative of the study of suffering. How How are you saying this, Pastor? Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 5 was to show you that Jesus doesn't always heal. John chapter 21 is an amazing passage to me. As I was studying this and as I go through all the, as you do a word search and you do your concordance and you're going through all this, this just, it floored me. I've never seen this before. Uh, I mean, I've read it millions of times, but it just, it stuck me. John chapter 21, 18 through 19. John chapter 21, 18 through 19. Listen to this. This is unbelievably powerful to me. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird uh, yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, a bunch of people about to say amen, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you 
where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would what? Glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So what does Jesus do? He come, I mean, yes, Jesus comes here. He says, Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself up. You used to walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, man, you're going to stretch your hands out and you're going to be disabled. Somebody's going to have to help you. Somebody's going to have to bring you to where you're going to be. And, I am, and he said this because he was signifying, but what kind of death he would glorify him. It is interesting because this is something we rarely give a thought to in our own reality. Jesus is speaking to Peter about the the day he will face a disability. And what was the explanation for Peter's future disability? What was the explanation? Remember last week I told you we don't find the explanation in cause. We find explanation in what? Purpose. What was the purpose? What was the explanation for Peter's future disability? God's glory. So when we read, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A passage that we read, and and it's a passage that we all wrestle with. And I know some of you wrestle with this more than I do. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Can I just full stop there? Can I full stop with those of you who are going through unmitigated suffering? Those of you who deal with disability on a daily basis. Some of you have dealt with disability from birth. Some of you have dealt with disability from the last few moments of your life. I've said this before and I'll say it again. There is a myriad of disabilities. There's a myriad of pain. There's a myriad of sufferings. But I want to call you to this church. As the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, do not lose heart. Why? But through our outer man is, though, I'm sorry, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Here it is, verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, Paul comes and he tells us, he calls these light and momentary. They are either if, by the way, the, the, these situations that we're encountering, these in, events that we are encountering, and he spoke about some of these before. And by the way, just in case, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. These are the things that he's talking about. These are the, these are the struggles that he is going through. And Paul knows what it means to go through suffering, to go through pain. He's been through a minute, right? He's been through a little bit of pain here. 
And He calls them light and momentary. Let me say this to you. If you're an unbeliever in this room, they are not light and they are not momentary if this world and the ability of others is our comparison. Let me say it again. They are not light and they are momentary if this world is all we got and if the way others are, are our comparison. They are not light nor momentary because they are consumptive and that's all we have. But he writes, it is light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is to be seen in light of that which is eternal. You see, all the disability, all the things that we struggle with, all the suffering, all the death that we see, it is light and momentary in comparison to that which is eternal. Because this ain't all, yo. This ain't it. If my whole life is wrapped up into these 45 years plus a few, if this is it, and I am disabled in it, and I am unable to do the things that other people can do because of some affliction that I have, then what else do I have but depression? What else do I have but shame? What else do I have but uh, hurt? What else do I have? But if this moment, this 45 years plus that God is going to give me, if this is not all there is, then whatever I experience in this place must not be in comparison to that which I am going to experience in the next. So I come to you and I can say that when we look at the disabilities that we struggle through, and I am not... I want to say this again because I want to make sure that I'm clear. I am not trying to say you're not suffering through disability. I'm not trying to say that it's not uh, heavy, it's not hard. I understand that. I get that. But I will say this. If, 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 you, if we were to, and I say this a lot in funerals, if we were to take our moment of death and switch it to the person who has died, the, specifically the Christian who has died, if we were to switch that and look at that and we were to look it through the lens of, of the way they see this death, I guarantee our perspective would be changed. And if we were to switch our disability in our current moment in light of the eternal glory that awaits us before our Heavenly Father, it is but light and momentary. And now I want to address some confusion. Um, and the reason I want to address some confusion is because there's often the accusation made against those of us who believe, have you read your Old Testament? You know, in the Old Testament, God didn't like the disabled. He, put, he, he cast them out. And usually this is said, and I don't mean this to be ugly, this is said by people who have no clue what the Old Testament is. They've never read the Bible. They don't even know what books they're quoting from but they want to quote from them. And it's because they saw a YouTube channel from some guy who also didn't know the Bible who's going to come and quote the same thing who quoted it from a guy who didn't. Who, you get me. You get the point. But I want to address it just so I don't look like I'm trying to escape the, escape the reality of the situation before I conclude this because the conclusion is um, unbelievably powerful for those of you, I believe it is, for those of you and us who are experiencing uh, disability that will be perpetual. 
But before I do that, I want to address the confusion. The accusation that the disabled are seen as less in God's eyes. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 21. I've seen this hurt hearts. Leviticus chapter 21. I'm going to read for you verses 16 through 24. Leviticus 21 verses 16 through 24. And this is the passage that's pointed to. And then the Lord said to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron. saying, no man of your offspring throughout their generations who has a defect shall approach to offer the food of his God. For no one who has a defect shall approach, a blind man, a a lame man, or he who has a defigured face, or any deformed limb, or a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or a hunchback or dwarf, or one who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scabs or crushed testicles." No man among the descendants of Aaron, the priest, who has a defect, is to come near to offer the Lord's offering by fire. Since he has a defect, he shall not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the food of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go into the veil or come near the altar because he has a defect, so that he will not profane my sanctuary, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel. The skeptic sees this and they say, see, look at God's attitude toward those who are disabled. A couple of things. And to the skeptic, I would, by the way, I would respond to the skeptic by saying something like this. I want to thank you first for bringing this to my attention especially in light of the fact that you now concede that Leviticus is a true recollection of history. So let's understand what's actually happening here so that you nor I appear to be foolish because we wouldn't want that to happen now, would we? The first thing I want us to look at, and by the way, when you read the list of defects, uh, some of you are going, well, that's, that's me. So, wait, hold on. This just got a lot more personal, didn't it? The first thing I want us to see is, what book are we in? What book are we in? The book of Leviticus. Now, to the skeptic, I would say it's very important that you don't read the lions beat the tigers in the sports section of your newspaper and assume there was a great lion and tiger battle somewhere in Africa. You would assume that that would be probably a sports event. So what you have to do is you have to choose the genre, you have to choose the reality, and choose the, the, what we would call, you have to do appropriate hermeneutics. You have, to, you have to exegete the passage according to the way the author intended the passage. So first, I want you to know it's written in the book of Leviticus. I'm not that smart, it's in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is actually written to priests in the, in the Old Testament for a place and for a purpose. Let me say that. Leviticus is written to priests. Matter of fact, um, it says that Moses tells Aaron this. Aaron would be the, the height of the priesthood. It was from the lineage of Aaron that the priest would come. And Leviticus is written to priests for a place, for a purpose. And God here, what he is doing, God is setting priests apart. What is he setting a priest apart for? 
A priest is to be set apart and he is to be saint and he is sanctifying them and ordaining them or he is deciding that a blemished priest will blemish his sanctuary. Why would a blemished priest blemish his sanctuary? Because the perfection of the sanctuary is important. You need to listen. God is symbolically and visibly insisting that there be no that there be a correlation between the perfection of those who are able to approach him in the sanctuary and the perfection of the sanctuary itself which is a reflection of whose sanctuary, whose perfection God's perfection why because scripture reveals Two amazing dimensions of God. Now you've got to stay with me here when you look at the narrative, the meta-narrative of the Scriptures. You've got to understand the way the Scriptures de- declare and display God, the God of the Bible. Scripture reveals these two dimensions of God's nature. First, God is unapproachable in His holiness. God is unapproachable in His holiness. Second, God is overflowing in grace. Now, you look at those two and you would put those in two separate categories. You say you can't, in our world, of course, because we are humans and we're unable to be overflowing with grace and unapproachable in holiness. So here's the deal. Listen, this is the paradigm. God is holy, right? He is, which means he is set apart. He is different. He is unlike any other God. And because he is holy, because he does not have sin, no sinner is capable of approaching him. When is Leviticus written? After or before Genesis 3? After Genesis 3. So in this, this is man as sinners approaching a holy God. And how are we going to approach a holy God? You will only approach a holy God the way God declares for you to approach him. Because he is holy without sin, not us. We don't get to build our ladders and our, and our mountains. We don't get to determine our path to God. By the way, God didn't make a path. He, created, he made a person just for the record. Right? Just for the record. So when you come to this, you come to this and go, wait, in order for, if God is who God said he says he is, then he is unapproachable. Sinners are unable to come before him. Nothing imperfect, nothing evil can without, can ever come before him without being destroyed. Listen, in the presence of God, there can only be perfection. Because he is perfect. Be perfect because God is perfect. The, the only way any, anything, any one of us can come before God is we, have, we would have to be perfect. You have to be spiritually perfect, morally perfect, and physically perfect. That's what's laying down here, yo. That's what's happening in Leviticus. He is setting aside his priest and he is saying, only perfection can come before me. I will allow no defect to come before me. Before me. So answer, riddle me this, Batman. Who of you are able to approach the throne of God? Who of us can go before our holy God and stand before him and tell him, hey, you you need me. Or I deserve. 
Or have you seen all the good that I've done? It's a desperate place, is it not? And if this were all, then we would be without hope. But don't forget that in God, in God, in His character, we not only see that He is unapproachable in His holiness, but God is overflowing in His grace. So His grace reaches out to the imperfect. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, in Jesus, we see God making a way to declare us as perfect. It's not that God's holiness is replaced by His grace, but both are always who He is. He is holy and He is gracious. And in the Old Testament, God is highlighting the demands for perfection outwardly so that we would know that no form of imperfection will ever be allowed in His presence permanently. So the Old Testament is standing, looking upon the horizon. you got to get this. Oh my gosh, I wish I could give this to you covenantally. But the Old Testament is they're looking on the horizon. They're looking forward to what's happening. And they're looking in the future and they're waiting and they're wondering how God is ever going to make a people that would be able to come into His presence. The Old Testament makes it impossible, and that's the point of this passage. No imperfection. In order to be my priest, you have to be perfect. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole sacrificial system and what that means and all that. I'm not going to do that. But you understand this, right? So in the Old Testament, we look upon the horizon and we can see a future that is waiting and wondering how God could ever make a people that would come into His presence. And then we come to the New Testament and the glorious reality dawns that God has provided us a way by Jesus, the very perfection that we are now able to approach God Himself. Provided by His Spirit, the sanctification and the perfection in His life, the perfection in His death, the perfection in His body and spirit, so that we may now be in His presence. The writer would say, we now have the confidence to enter into what? The most holy place. You get it? Ladies and gentlemen, I have good news for you. Jesus not only justifies the ungodly and is willing to touch the unclean like the lepers, but he transforms the ungodly into godly and will one day take away their diseases, their deformities, and all of their disabilities. The Old Testament sobers us to how holy God is. And at least we despair, the New Testament comes to demonstrate through whom we are able to be in His presence and to enjoy Him forever. And for those of you who are here, who have ears to hear and are facing disability, and you find yourself desiring a miracle... For that, I want to say, we as the church, as the faith family of God, we come alongside you and we pray for that miracle as well. 
But we do so with this reality. We remind us that the point in the first coming of Jesus into the world is so that we are able to see a foretaste of his power to heal that will await all of us that are in him in his second coming. You see, we can encourage one another that the aim of these foretasters, the aim of these miracles, the aim of everything you see in the New Testament was not for the purpose of causing them to become the expected result for all of us. But the aim of them is to call us to live lives of faith and holiness and light of all that he has promised us. Because he is able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think. Because, ladies and gentlemen, let me talk to you like I'm real. Let me talk to you like I don't live in a different world. Because some of you think, I think that's reality. The reality is this. Most people with disability will endure their disability in this life until the day they die. Because miraculous healing is the exception, not the rule. For now. Amen, Pastor. It's very important that you hear me. The miraculous healing by Jesus and his apostles weren't, was not so that we would go around and we would start calling ourselves healers. The purpose of the miraculous healing of Jesus was to demonstrate what? Who Jesus is, what Jesus can do, and what he will do one day. The reason he rose people from the dead was to show you that he raises others from the dead, not just himself. Does that mean everybody that's ever died since then has risen from the dead? No, but he will one day. And let me say this, because I'm, I'm about up to here in my throat with the nonsense. And it is not just for those of you who are dealing with the, with the fact of, of, of disability or hurt every day, and you're dealing with this struggle. Listen to me. Oh, if I, could pour it in your, if I could pour it in your soul. It's not because you don't have enough faith. It's not because you don't have enough faith. I am sick and tired of it. I was watching a television show. One of these, one of these pastors, I'm going to call him, he, he said it, it's public. Bill Johnson, y'all know him from Bethel Church? You know they had a, a school of healing that they canceled because of COVID? Do you, have you ever seen Bill Johnson? He has a school of healing, but he wears glasses. And I do pray for him. I, my understanding is he lost his wife, right? To cancer. Am I right? So we pray for him. So what you doing now? Just didn't have enough faith? You see, we have put faith on the wrong side. 
We forgot that faith was a gift given to us by God. It's not something that we muster up. It's not something that we go out and we, we kind of, ooh, let's get better faith. Let's get, like, like, we're some, like we're Thomas the Train. I think I can, I think I can. Let me say this. It's not necessarily because we are weak in faith. It's because of this church. Total healing is not meant for us here and now, but it is for there and then. The miracle in the here and now is evidence is what is to come there and then. So what do we do? How do we approach this day with my disability, with your disability, with your children with disability? I have families in here that my hearts are rending in this very moment that I'm going. I know, I I can only imagine, the only way I know the struggle is because I hear you and I see you and I want you to know this. I see you. And so, so we come to Christ in our brokenness. We receive the power of his forgiveness. We pursue holiness so that, yes, even through disability, God's glory can be put on display. Because, see, this is the question. How is God glorified through my disability? You see, Pastor, last week, I get it. God is glorified in the healing of the blind man. How does God manifest his work through disability? Here it is. It's through his sustaining grace. Through his sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. Seen through the joy that he brings to us through those with disabilities. Have you ever been been by some people with certain disabilities? And the way they make us laugh. I, now listen, I don't, want, I, don't want either, I don't want to fall off either of these cliffs. I come to one cliff and everybody says disability is, uh, you come to people with disability and it's always suffering, always pain. That's not true. Some of the funniest things I've ever seen are being people with disabilities. I mean, y'all ever met Jace? The kid is just like running joy. He just wants to hug you and, Honey! every. I mean, I love it. So I look at the lives of people, of people with disabilities. I look at their lives and I see the joy that they have brought in my life. And I say, God, thank you for giving them to me and bringing me that amount of joy. No matter, now, I'm not saying that it's always joyful. I'm not going to fall off that cliff. I'm going to come over here and say there is pain. Y'all, y'all with me here? Because I don't want to be painted like I'm a guy who has this utopic view. I'm not that guy. I'm, I, I have been made aware of the very real, of the reality of disability. But I think we got to be careful. There are bad days. There are bad weeks. There are bad times when we're struggling through disabilities. I think of Shay's family and her brother who has been disabled since he was born. And the struggles that her mom and dad have gone through. And the pain. Uh, Shay and her, do- her sister telling about the days that they had to stay with other people. So that, uh, so that their mom and dad could take Johnny up to the hospital. I can't imagine that amount of pain. I can't imagine it. Not in my heart. I know it because of what I've been told and what I can perceive. But I look at that and I can go. But there have been times where this kid, every birthday, I can tell you, every birthday, he draws something in a card totally inappropriate. It is the funniest thing you've ever seen. 
He, sign, he signs. He'll take a, I love him. I love him. He, he, he's usually here, and I'd pick on him if he was here. He signs all of our birthday cards with his name on the front of it. So much fun. Pain? Yes. Joy? Yes. The sustaining grace seen through the joy that he brings to those who have given us. What about this? What about the sustaining grace that he gives me? He renews my faith. He renews my trust in him that having loved ones with disability brings. Because let me, let me kind of, let me change this paradigm for those of you who live with families with disability. Because for those who don't live with families with disability, we tend to get a little bit complacent in the fact that, you know, this world is good enough. But for those who live with people with continuous disability, you're always living in the hope that this will one day be restored and renewed. You're always, that's a sustaining grace. That's God. Every time you look at disability and you go, God, I know the day is not today. And I pray that today would be the day. But God, if you will sustain me to live another day, to go another day, I know the day is coming when you're going to heal my son, when you're going to heal my daughter, when all things will be made new. And you're going to sustain me until that day. There's... There's going to come a day when Johnny is okay. There's going to come a day when Jace is made whole. There's going to come a day in which Gracie is going to have peace. I could go on and on. There's going to come a day, Russ, when you're no longer going to have a limp. There's going to come a day for all of us when we are going to be able to stand before God and He is going to heal us. How do I know that? Because He's already healed and I know that He can. And He renews your faith every day. He renews your trust in Him every day. What about the sustaining grace, church, through the opportunities for us to be involved in the ministry of others who have no hope? You know, I deal with families with special needs on a quite frequent basis, and I can tell you that if you think our culture has no hope, deal with families who don't have Christ and only have disability as their identity. What about the sustaining grace that the day is coming when all our disabilities are gone and we are made new? And as God's grace sustains us in the midst of the disability, it demonstrates to those without Christ, either with or dealing with disability, what He does in and through His people. So whether it be glory displayed in power to heal or glory displayed in grace to sustain, He is glorified and we are revealing His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you please stand to your feet? If you're with us here this morning, we have heard the word preached. I pray that it has been comforting to your heart and to your soul. And now we come to the response. How do we respond? The Bible says that if you will believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and confess with your mouth that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. 
to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord is a demonstration of regeneration, that God has provided you the faith to trust and believe in Him. To confess with your mouth is a demonstration of baptism. It's to be identified with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is the outward expression. It is. You see, confession is not walking an aisle. Confession in the church community is not walking an aisle. It's not coming to a pastor. Confession to the church community is by being baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Hear me. Baptism is the, is the outward expression of a faith that has been provided for you that you are now going to confess and you will trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you will identify in His death, burial, and resurrection. And we would call you to that. If you are here this morning and you have not been saved and you are without Christ and you are lost, we would call you to confess your sin, to go to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and to follow through in a believer's baptism. For those of you who are here who have been baptized, who are believers, right? Who are believers. We will participate in the Lord's Supper as we do every week. Why? Because I know in the midst of my pathetic view of my own disabilities that I need His grace. I need to know that He died, that He lived the life that I couldn't live and died the death that I deserved to die. And I need to know that there will be a day there will be a day based upon his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and soon coming return. I know there will be a day in which all of us will be made whole. And maybe this week, maybe this week for some of you with disabilities in your life, you have allowed the disability to be your identity, to be your only hope. I want to call you to a better hope. I want to call you to Jesus. I want to call you to his sustaining grace. So what we do is we come and we confess that. So we are going to partake in these elements. They are not in any way magical in the terms of they, they don't transform, they don't do any of that. It's literally a cracker and a cup of juice that represents, that displays to us. But I do believe that God meets us specially in this moment, in the midst of partaking in these elements. Not in the elements, but in the partaking of these elements, I believe He meets with us as a church to remind us of His goodness and grace. We don't want to come to this table in an unworthy manner. By the way, if you're here with us and you're not a believer, listen, we love you, we care about you, we want you to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you do not trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, realize that He died the death that you deserve to die. He lived the life that you couldn't live. And if you want to push away from the table and say, you know what, I don't trust Him as my Lord, I don't, I don't believe in Him as my Savior, we would just ask that you respect the table and not participate in the elements. You can walk up, you can walk by so you don't feel awkward or anything like that. You can walk by. You can see everything that we're doing. But we ask that you not take the elements and go.